Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 10, Episode 7, The Battle of Komaki Nagakute. I've been looking forward to this episode for quite some time. As I've mentioned previously, I used to live in Japan for a year spanning 2005 and 2006. I lived in the city of Nagakute, and one of the locations where I worked teaching English was in Komaki. While exploring Nagakute one day, I came upon a park with steep hills and learned that the park itself was a former battlefield which had been transformed into a memorial. It was part of the site of the Battle of Komaki Nagakute. I'll post some pictures that I took while exploring that park on the supplemental blog post for this episode, so be sure to check those out. After May of 1583, it appeared that Hashiba Hideyoshi was the most powerful daimyo in all of Japan. He controlled over 30 of the nation's 68 provinces, was in command of the largest armies available, and critically, understood how to distribute rewards while preserving a basic balance of power. In spite of his common origins, he also had his fair share of family ties. Kinoshita Yaimon, Hideyoshi's biological father, died when he was only seven years old and his older sister Tomo only ten. His mother found a new husband and had more children, giving him a half-brother and a half-sister. His half-brother was originally known as Koichiro, but changed his name to Hidenaga around the same time that Hideyoshi adopted his new moniker. The two were very close, and Hidenaga fought alongside Hideyoshi at the battles of Yamazaki and Shizugatake. Hideyoshi kept him close, valuing his advice and rewarding his battlefield service. In addition to his brother, another family member whose advice guided him through difficult times was One, his wife. They had married in 1561, and her fortunes naturally improved alongside his. Unfortunately for later national stability, however, she never bore him any children. He would need to look elsewhere for an heir, or, spoiler alert, start taking additional wives. His older sister Tomo was married to a farmer who claimed to descend from an important family in Yamato province. He was called Miwa Yasuke, and she bore him three sons named Hidetsugu, Hidekatsu, and Hideyasu, respectively. Hideyoshi's younger half-sister Asahi had also married a farmer, and Hideyoshi made a point of elevating the man to samurai status. He took the name Saji Hyuga. During Hideyoshi's time at the helm, he would have his share of family drama. Some of it was caused by his own actions, but much was really a condition of political pressures. Marriage alliances were a common way of sealing peace, and although both of his sisters were already married, one would be asked to walk away from her husband for the sake of national peace. Ieyasu Tokugawa appears to have had a somewhat messy home life as well. To fully understand the scope of his family drama, as well as Oda Nobunaga's interference therein, we need to go back a little way. In 1563, long after the Battle of Okehazama destroyed the effective reach of the Imagawa clan, 
Nobunaga wanted to more firmly tie the independent-minded Ieyasu to his cause. He offered his daughter, Princess Toku, as a wife for Ieyasu's son, to which he agreed. Princess Toku was about five years old at the time, but when they both came of age, she was married to Ieyasu's son, Nobuyasu. Sources indicate that Princess Toku and Nobuyasu grew quite close and enjoyed an affectionate, loving relationship. However, Ieyasu's first wife, Princess Toku's new mother-in-law, Lady Tsukiyama, had a reputation for being overbearing and difficult. She frequently interfered in their marriage, which irritated Princess Toku, but which ultimately culminated in the insistence that Nobuyasu take on a concubine to give him a son after the princess gave birth to their second daughter. Mothers-in-law having difficult relationships with their daughters-in-law is a common trope in many cultures worldwide, and among the powerful, such difficulties can have very drastic consequences. In 1579, Lady Tsukiyama arranged for her son to take for his concubine the daughter of a retainer of the Takeda clan. Princess Toku, who was now around 20 years old, wrote an angry letter to her father about her mother-in-law's actions, heavily implying that the entire concubine arrangement might just be an attempt by Lady Tsukiyama to steer the Tokugawa clan toward alliance or even subordination to the Takeda clan. Nobunaga, furious and terrified of a future alliance between the Tokugawa and Takeda against him, wrote to Ieyasu and insisted the matter be dealt with. Permanently. Still following his strategy of behaving as an obedient vassal without actually having sworn such an oath, Tokugawa Ieyasu initiated an investigation into the matter. In addition to arresting his wife, Lady Tsukiyama, he also arranged for his son Nobuyasu to be taken into custody. Although no real evidence was ever produced that Lady Tsukiyama was planning to seize the reins of the Tokugawa clan via a coup and encourage her son to ally with the Takeda, the suspicion of Nobunaga alone was so dangerous that Ieyasu decided not to take any chances. He had Lady Tsukiyama beheaded and ordered his son Nobuyasu to commit seppuku. At this point, Ieyasu had two other sons, one from an affair he'd pursued with one of Lady Tsukiyama's handmaidens, and another from Lady Saigo, his second official wife, whom he was said to love very dearly. He had never enjoyed a warm relationship with his second son, and seems to have actually disliked the young man, and considered him illegitimate. He named his third son, Hide Tada, born from Lady Saigo, as his heir. Fast forward to our present moment, 1583. After the Battle of Shizugatake, Hashiba Hideyoshi invited all the highest-ranking generals to his work-in-progress Osaka castle to pay homage to him. Oda Nobukatsu rightly recognized that if he paid said homage to Hideyoshi, he would be acknowledging the man's superiority over himself. Although he had fought alongside Hideyoshi against his brother Nobutaka, this was a step he was not willing to take. He returned to Kiyosu Castle in Owari province and refused every invitation from Hashiba Hideyoshi thereafter. Hoping to heal the breach before things got out of hand, Hideyoshi reached out to three of Nobukatsu's retainers, 
all of whom encouraged their liege lord to acknowledge Hideyoshi's primacy. Fearing that these three retainers were acting as Hideyoshi's agents, Nobukatsu had them executed in the spring of 1584. By this action, Hashiba Hideyoshi had all the justification he needed for raising an army and attacking Nobukatsu. Facing an attack led by Hashiba Hideyoshi was a dangerous position to find oneself during the Azuchi-Momoyama period. However, Oda Nobukatsu believed, rightly, that he could call upon the protection of another powerful daimyo whose talent on the battlefield and in the political arena were said to rival Hashiba Hideyoshi's. He turned to Tokugawa Ieyasu, who responded to his call by raising an army and marching into Owari province to meet Hideyoshi's forces. Although it's referred to as the Battle of Komaki Nagakute, a better term is probably the Campaign of Komaki Nagakute. It is composed of several small-scale battles and skirmishes, but is closer in spirit to the Onin War than the Battle of Okehazama. It was a very long, drawn-out confrontation which was probably very boring for its participants for most of the time. However, it's worth recounting the actions taken and the moments where everything really could have gone horribly wrong for either side. The first real skirmish in this war began with a betrayal. Ikeda Tsuneoki, a retainer of Oda Nobunaga himself, turned against Nobukatsu and made a surprise attack on Inuyama Castle, seizing the fortress in fairly short order. While Ieyasu's forces scrambled to retake Inuyama, Hideyoshi loyalist Mori Nagayoshi sprang into action and attempted to besiege Kiyosu Castle. Deserving of special attention in this battle is Sakai Taratsugu, a Tokugawa clan retainer whose strategies helped prevent Hideyoshi's loyalists from gaining an early tactical advantage. He defended Kiyosu Castle, enduring repeated barrages from arquebuses and managing to maneuver his forces into a flank against Mori Nagayoshi's division and drove them away from Kiyosu. Meanwhile, at Inuyama Castle, Ikeda Tsuneoki had called upon other supporters of Hideyoshi in the region to coalesce on his position and defend it from the Tokugawa. Unfortunately for Tsuneoki and for his approaching allies, Ieyasu had already prepared a counter-strategy. He dispatched Sakai Taratsugu along with 5,000 troops to a place called Haguro, where they ambushed the pro-Hideyoshi reinforcements at dawn in a devastating surprise attack. Inuyama Castle was retaken by the Tokugawa two days later, and both Ikeda Tsuneoki and Mori Nagayoshi barely escaped from the whole ordeal with their lives. While Hashiba Hideyoshi gradually gathered perhaps 8,000 to fight for him in Owari, Tokugawa Ieyasu only managed to bring 30 to 35,000 warriors in response. Although it may seem like Ieyasu was badly outnumbered and destined to lose in an open engagement, Hideyoshi had a good reason to exercise caution. Ieyasu had positioned his army to take advantage of favorable terrain like high ground and dense woodlands. The castles he controlled in Owari were among the most impregnable in the nation, Thus, the two armies largely stared at one another once Inuyama had been retaken and Kiyosu defended. 
Ieyasu himself took up residence in Komakiyama Castle, a Yamashiro or mountain castle, which was situated atop Mount Komaki. Hashiba Hideyoshi settled in for a long standoff, but was convinced to allow his nephew Hashiba Hidetsugu to attempt a Nakairi. This was a well-trod strategy of Japanese warfare during Sengoku, wherein a detachment of an army would depart from the main host and circle widely around the enemy to attack it from the rear, or in this case, attack the castles where the enemy had come from and where they inevitably planned to fall back to if things went poorly for them. Ieyasu had called up pretty much every available warrior at his command, leaving his home base of Okazaki Castle in Mikawa only lightly defended. This particular engagement was not Hashiba Hidetsugu's first battle. He had fought at Yamazaki and had battled alongside Takayama Shigetomo at the Battle of Shizugatake. He was still young at this point, around 16 years old, but eager to prove himself to his powerful, childless uncle. He almost certainly wanted to prove that he was worthy of being Hideyoshi's heir and able to carry on his work of reuniting the nation. He departed with around 20,000 warriors, but these included the personal armies of many other commanders. Hidetsugu himself commanded around 8,000 directly. The plan to attack Okazaki was not a terrible one, but it is worth observing that such battlefield parlor tricks were by now so familiar that clever commanders knew to guard against them. In addition to the 30,000 or so warriors in his army, Tokugawa Ieyasu also had one other large advantage in the field. He employed several ninja, who had been displaced from Iga province, with his retainer Hattori Hanzo no doubt acting as a liaison between them. These spies tracked the Nakairi force, and Tokugawa Ieyasu arranged to ambush them as they strayed further and further from Hideyoshi's front line. After a series of attacks, counterattacks, and feints, Hidetsugu's forces were gradually whittled down, and he had little choice but to break for safe territory. He managed to escape with his life, but lost many men in the process and gained nothing in exchange. The result was shameful but Hidetsugu had at least escaped with his life. Meanwhile, Ikeda, Tsuneoki, and Mori Nagayosh continued their active attempts to dislodge the Tokugawa from Owari province. Tsuneoki took 20,000 and embarked on a smash-and-grab raid in Mikawa province, hoping to force Ieyasu to abandon his strong positions in Owari. This too was known ahead of time thanks to Tokugawa spies, and Ieyasu's rearguard managed to outmaneuver Tsuneoki. The Hideyoshi loyalists were once more forced to retreat. Throughout the Battle of Komaki Nagakute, a pattern certainly emerged. Divisions of Hideyoshi's army, having more warriors, would attempt to attack the Tokugawa host at a supposed weak point, only to be rebuffed and forced into a retreat. While Ieyasu certainly owed some of this success to his intelligence network, it's clear that he had also molded the Tokugawa clan into an efficient and deadly paramilitary organization. The Battle of Komaki Nagakute lasted for six months before finally the two sides came to terms. Those six months were mostly defined by the two sides glaring at one another with the occasional incursion attempt by pro-Hideyoshi forces who were repelled each time by clever maneuvering by the forces of Tokugawa Ieyasu. 
In early 1585, Oda Nobukatsu agreed to withdraw his claim to inheritance at the urging of Ieyasu. Hideyoshi accepted, and Nobukatsu's domain was recognized, but placed under the authority of Hideyoshi. The entire affair began over Nobukatsu's refusal to do exactly this, which makes the entire six months of fighting seem like a waste of time and lives. Ikeda Tsuneoki lost his life toward the end of this conflict, as did Mori Nagayoshi, who supposedly wore a brilliant white surcoat and constantly rode his force in front of his own troops during battle. Probably several thousands were lost under Hashiba Hidetsugu, and the entire affair must have, at the very least, proved very costly for both parties. While Hideyoshi may have hoped for Ieyasu's submission, and Ieyasu may have hoped to decisively defeat Hideyoshi, both men would walk away at least a little disappointed. Hostages were exchanged to ensure a future peace. Of particular note, Ieyasu's illegitimate second son, an 11-year-old boy called Ogimaru, was given to the childless Hideyoshi as an adopted son. This was a combination of hostage-giving and future problem-solving on the part of Ieyasu, who intended for the moment that his third son, Hidetada, inherit his domain. Hashiba Hideyoshi later presided over young Ogimaru's coming-of-age ceremony, at which the young man was given the name Hashiba Hideyas. This will not be the last time we discuss Hideyas, nor will it be the last time his name has changed. Hideyoshi, meanwhile, was determined to get some kind of official recognition from Tokugawa Ieyas himself, believing that the ambitious daimyo of southeastern Chubu would always remain a threat otherwise. Given that plans were already in motion for invasions of both Shikoku and Kyushu, securing the east of Hideyoshi's grand domain, was imperative. Thus, a marriage alliance was proposed as a way of ensuring that Ieyasu would feel respected and pave the way to his officially accepting Hideyoshi's suzerainty. Although he did not have any daughters or unwed sisters, he decided to first propose the marriage as a gesture of good faith. I mentioned earlier that Hideyoshi had two sisters, both married to farmers, but that the younger sister, Asahi's husband, had been elevated to samurai rank and incorporated into Hideyoshi's military machine. This was the sister which Hideyoshi intended to marry to Ieyasu, if he would have her. When the sister and her husband, Saji Hyuga, learned that Hideyoshi's representatives returned from Ieyasu's domain with his acceptance of the marriage proposal, her husband committed seppuku to allow for the marriage to go through. In May of 1586, Princess Asahi married Tokugawa Ieyasu as an official second wife, with Lady Saigo still occupying the first position after the execution of Lady Tsukiyama. The wedding was a grand affair, with top-ranking daimyo from around the Kanto and Chubu regions making the trip to participate in the nuptials, and, more importantly, pay their respects to both the Hashiba and Tokugawa clans. In addition to his own sister, Hideyoshi also sent his mother to be Ieyasu's hostage, a sign of trust which was so radical that one of Ieyasu's retainers warned him that it was surely a trick, believing that the wily Hideyoshi surely sent some other elderly noble lady from the court instead of his actual mother. He was wrong, though, and Ieyasu himself seems to have finally believed that the matter between himself and Hideyoshi should be settled. 
Part of Hideyoshi's strategy for inducing Ieyasu's official submission was using the imperial court to grant him rank promotions and appointment to the defunct but still prestigious office of Gon Dainagon. As for Hideyoshi himself, he had arranged to receive court rank promotions and, like Nobunaga before him, had secured an appointment as Daijo Daijin, or Chancellor. Thus, he ensured that he was not only ranked above Ieyasu, but was his direct superior in office. Hideyoshi had also been busy on the political adoption front. He had arranged his own adoption by Konoe Sakihisa, a member of the Konoe Fujiwara clan, who were the official hereditary regents of the emperor. Sakihisa retired from that office, making Hideyoshi the official imperial regent and granting him the prestigious title of Kampaku. Tokugawa Ieyasu finally came to the capital and to Osaka in late 1586 to recognize Hideyoshi's primacy. Hideyoshi still kept him at a distance, however, preferring to only call upon him when he needed help subduing Kanto later on in 1590. While Hideyoshi's act of sending his sister and mother to Ieyasu as hostages is often cited as the reason he finally bent the knee, I think there is actually a deeper reason. Not every Tokugawa retainer agreed with how Ieyasu prosecuted the Battle of Komaki Nagakute. There was a small but significant party of his followers who believed that resisting Hideyoshi's hegemony was a foolish waste of time. The leader of this group was a retainer named Ishikawa Kazumasa. This particular retainer was more than just an employee. He and Ieyasu had both lived as hostages of the Imagawa clan throughout their childhood. He had known Ieyasu his entire life and had thus far served him loyally, siding with him against the Imagawa, standing by his side during the disaster at Mikatagahara, and participating in the triumph at Nagashino. However, Ieyasu's show of resistance against Hideyoshi's authority was, in Kazumasa's mind, pure folly and nonsense. Ieyasu was risking the very gains he and his fellow retainers had fought and bled over, and for what? To support the tantrum of Nobunaga's second son? Shortly after the Battle of Komaki Nagakute, Ishikawa Kazumasa abandoned Ieyasu's sponsorship and presented himself to Hideyoshi at Osaka Castle. This presented a frustrating hardship on Ieyasu, who now had to reorganize the internal military structure of the Tokugawa clan to account for the fact that Ishikawa Kazumasa had a significant amount of intelligence which he was now certainly divulging to Hideyoshi. It's possible that Ieyasu feared an incursion from Hideyoshi's forces, which would no doubt have greater success with Kazumasa helping them, which is part of why he chose to present himself and remove any doubt as to his allegiance and short-term ambitions. One of the reasons why historians generally believe that Hideyoshi probably didn't trust Ieyasu was that he would pursue his next two large-scale campaigns without asking for his aid. Ieyasu would, for the moment, content himself with managing his own domain in southeastern Chubu, wondering whether Hideyoshi was about to confront him once more as an enemy. When Hideyoshi eventually did come calling, however, it was a proposal for an allied invasion of a mutual enemy. Before that allied invasion of their mutual enemy in Kanto, however, 
Hideyoshi was determined to continue Nobunaga's quest to unify the entire nation by coordinating invasions of Shikoku and Kyushu and seeking the submissions of the clans who were in power there. Next time, we will discuss those invasions and campaigns, as well as the major powers who controlled those two important islands of Japan. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan.